joint collaboration today with very esteemed guests. Um, I will introduce the guests and I will ask Guruji Rohit Aryaji to introduce the topic to you. So this is in response to a recent video uh, that floated on social media. The platform was given by Jordan Peterson uh, to somebody I may call a non-entity, but not really so. Uh, our speakers today are Rohit Aryaji. He's a, his social media bio reads author, yogi, and polymath. And he's written about sacred Hindu symbols and Vastu and Taro. And his books have been translated into five international languages. But uh, at the bottom line, he's a guru for over a decade now and a spiritual mentor to many. Then we have Pandit Satish Sharmaji. He's a scholar, a pundit of dharmic traditions. He has been awarded the title of Dharma, Dharma Samrakshak by the Council of Hindu Swamis and Rishikesh and Saints in Rishikesh. His bio reads that he's been working to minimize the birth pains of a truly secular, post-colonial, post-theocratic 21st century England. Then we have Sanjay Dikshitji. Uh, thank you very much for joining us again, Sanjayji. He's a senior IS of the Rajasthan cadre. Uh, Rajasthan cadre. He has been a marine engineer. He's an author and the former secretary of the Rajasthan Cricket Association. He's written extensively on agriculture and strategic matters and social issues. And now he's the founder of the Jaipur Dialogues on YouTube. And uh, I may say one of our uh, senior most speakers on Sangam Talks. Uh, Rohit Araji, I will address you at, as Guruji, and we have Panditji. Guruji, I'll ask you to introduce the topic today. Om Shivachadamaram, welcome to everybody. Sanjayji, Panditji, this was a video by Jordan Peterson. Uh, I, I would like it if everybody was on screen. Don't just show me. It's not necessary. Everybody on screen would be nicer. This was a video by Jordan Peterson where essentially he was gaslit by a person called Sanjay Mangalwadi, where he unloaded onto him a river of propaganda, which was all seemed to be like 18th century and 19th century colonial missionary tactics. Uh, in terms of how confusing this was, they changed the title of the talk three times in the first three days. And today, I don't know what the title is. It keeps mutating. It seems to be some kind of virus that keeps mutating. Today, it is something like uh, India Bible, something. So there is a certain, it is not per se about what was said in the talk. Because if we are going to refute point by point the talk, uh, we will be here till day after tomorrow. There is so much irrelevance there. But it is the attitude that what is known as the most famous public intellectual in the English-speaking world provided a platform for such gaslighting and such outright denunciation and slander of the Hindu faith. And for me, uh, I felt that it was very necessary that we respond as a Hindu community. You know, most people have become very upset with Jordan and abusing him and things like that, which is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is that this is the most famous intellectual in the Western world has provided a platform for what is essentially missionary propaganda. 
And the usual argument when some such thing happens is, but the Hindus didn't protest. So I thought we must formally have a protest on record. And then when uh, people stalwarts like Sanjay Dixit, who has popularized the concept of Shatru Bodh, you know, it is his, I think he brought that into the lexicon and he, it just sums up the attitude that is necessary. So when I heard he was coming on, I was over the moon with delight, you know, because I've always been a great admirer. And then Pandajito is my old friend from Facebook. So this is a Shatrubodh aware response, let us say, you know, and the, the idea is not to refute point by point, because I said that is impossible. We just take up a few of the more egregious attacks. We'll just take up a few of those. But the attitude, the attitude that regards us as some sort of, I'm sorry to say this, but it is regarded, if you listen to the podcast, it seems that we were primitives wearing leaves and eating roots. And these people came in and then they educated us and they gave us health care. You know, like <laughs> it is an appalling, an appalling uh, podcast. And right at the beginning, Dr. Peterson says very frankly, I don't know anything about India. He didn't even know that there was Muslim rule in India. And so his attitude seems to be, I don't know anything about India. Therefore, please tell me anything you want to and I will believe it. He does not push back even once, which is very surprising because in uh, the Cambridge talks, when somebody tried to demean India, he said no culture can last for 4,000 years if it's purely oppressive. And then he opens his platform up for this kind of vicious attack. So I said, just as a, a just for our own honor, just for the sake of truth, which he claims to be uh, so invested in, just for our own sake, we must have a response. We must have it out in the open. And when we have strong platforms like Samgan Talks and Jaipur Dialogues, uh, you know, then at least it will be there. Okay. This has not been allowed to pass because I have actually heard this. Since you guys don't refute it, it must be the truth. I have actually heard people saying that since Hindus don't push back on this, this must be the truth. And Mangalwadi lives in some unique world of his own. I, I do not have the mental capacity to fathom such uh, delusions. You know, or maybe I should say I do not have the mental incapacity to fathom such delusions, but he lives in some dream world of his own. The problem is that somebody like Peterson is allowing this dream world, this delusional world, this vicious world. I will use that word. It was a very vicious attack. So I just thought that we should broadly push back on the narrative and say, look, you can't keep pushing these missionary tropes. And defining an entire nation and an entire religion like this. So that is my opening statement. Oh, no. Vishal has been saved, you know. He was saved at the age of 14 and he was saved again and again whenever he wrote a book. And, I would uh, encourage him to continue his vision quest. I would deeply encourage him to continue his vision quest for truth. You know, because <laughs> one of the opening the statements is, he made. He said that Vedas don't give you the truth. Vedas give no, you Veda. magical power. Veda give, Vedas are magical sounds which give you powers. I was mm -hmm. not looking for powers. I was looking for the truth. And well, you like, know, well, we can also you. say we can also say rude things about his scripture, but that is not the purpose of the talk. You know, we can say extremely rude things about his scripture, but you know, like 
the point is see if we are getting into a tutu meme then faltu hai but jab aise digaj baithe hue when we have such powerful people here we should not fall into that trap we should let them speak and we should let them and i also felt i felt very bad that no hindu religious organization challenged this because for most of them it seems enough to say oh, jordan peterson is a westerner he is a christian do you understand the kind of damage that is caused perceptually you know just few days back sanjay ji had uh, a, a program on tista sitwad and how there is a whole ecosystem Uh, pumping out anti-India propaganda, and it was uh, with uh, uh, this one, the Manushi lady. You know, she was there, and it was really a revelation to me in terms of how organized these things are. And there's no pushback. There's no, absolutely no protest from our side. What nonsense, you know? So I said, no, we must have a protest. We must have a, a formal response to this. So that is why I wouldn't like to take up too much because when there are people like this sitting here, I don't want to talk. I would prefer them to talk. <laughs> हाँ आगे आप पंडित जी या म्यूटेड थैंक यू जी आई वॉज जस्ट से संजय जी टू मेक हिज ओपनिंग please. would you lead the shatrubodh charge muted hai sanjay ji aap muted hai yeah sorry uh, i said that um, uh, rohit ji said that uh, we should be we can also be very rude to the scriptures but we shouldn't be uh i would back to respectfully back to defer <laughs> uh, because i absolutely follow that uh, vidur niti that says shathe shatyam samachari kriti hinsane pratihinsanam nacha dosham pashyami shathe shatyam समाचारी old testament to new testament uh, and to the good news and to the gifts and to the uh well the man got saved i don't think he got saved we got saved <laughs> <laughs> that we don't have such a man in our midst and he is on the opposite side is actually our safety and uh, the basic point that i always make uh, whenever these uh, christian missionaries and the propagandists uh, they come visiting or they come pontificating pontificating is that uh, why don't you get your basics right in this age in this age of uh, relativity and quantum mechanics 
why can't you get your time concepts right? And I can stick to just one point, and uh, that is the time concept. And uh, on that particular one point, the entire Christianity and the entire Christian philosophy can be shredded. Why did it take them up till 553 CE to pronounce a curse on the cyclical time is the question I always ask. And uh, how was it that in the initial years of Christianity, when uh, the apostles were going around preaching the faith and converting people and uh, uh, conspiring to convert an entire empire, how, how was it that uh, they could not uh, find a logical connection with the time concept of the world? And why did it take uh, them up till 553 AD to firmly come to the point that, uh, well, uh, only linear time ha has to be there and cyclical time cannot be tolerated? I mean, that is one question that I have been asking many of the Christians. They don't even venture there. They only talk about the dogma that uh, they have. And uh, because it is so ordained that uh, they have fixed idea of a God who cannot even speak to the people or to the faithfuls directly. He has to have a prophet. If there is no prophet, there is no Abrahamic religion. That's very strange because uh, up here uh, in the so-called ignorant Vedas, they always encourage you to find your own modus vivendi, to find your own aspiration, to find your own deity and through the deity you find the real truth all by yourself of course there can be guides there can be uh, other inspirations you can seek guidance through a guru you can seek guidance through a deity you can seek guidance even through a faith but then the ultimate quest has to be yours and it is not bounden or it is not circumscribed by any blind belief into some scriptures. You don't even need scriptures. You don't even need Vedas. I mean, there can be no clear, clearer enunciation than in the Gita, second chapter, 46th verse, that says that uh, <clears throat> uh, that says that uh, if you have a clear experience, you don't even need the Vedas. And the entire concept of, uh, I am not yet clear, I have tried to study a lot of Christian scriptures, and I am not even clear whether the God, G-O-D, God, the Father, uh, of course, there is also God, the Son. Uh, and you know that fundamental difference between the Unitarian and the Trinitarian, uh, whether the God is one or God is three. If God is divided into three, then uh, how can you challenge the, Upanish the Upanishads who say, Eko Vashi Sarva Bhutantaratma Ekam rupam karoti. That he is one and he manifests himself into a billion form. Uh, what is it that constrains the God 
to manifest himself into just three forms and not into a billion forms? Or is it that uh, the Christian God is terribly constrained? Or the Christian God is powerless? Or Christian God is uh, constrained or made powerless by the uh, preachers here? Or what has happened? Or made powerless by his son? What is it that uh, doesn't allow himself to assume forms more than three? So these are some very basic, uh, I think, concepts where you can repudiate that entire entire theory without really having to bother too much into it in spite of Newton's support in the superlinear time that he provided on the basis of science. Uh, but uh, after Einstein's relativity and quantum mechanics, the whole edifice has fallen apart. And the beauty of it is that uh, in spite of that edifice falling apart, that uh, uh, superlinear time, that finite time theory, even Newton had said that the world would come to an end in 1920. So Newton, uh, who was, uh, uh, of course, I think he was, uh, his theories were called the law only with the purpose, uh, because they also wanted to anoint him as an apostle, maybe. And uh, in uh, uh, Anglican church, he is almost like an apostle, if not uh, formally ordained. But all these theories haven't withstood the test of time. And the church, particularly the Catholic church, is a prime example of hypocrisy personified. If that were not the case, then it would not first persecute Galileo when he said that the earth is round and then formally, very quietly, accept Galileo's proposition in 1992. So, uh, I would put, uh, I, I would put, the, I would let the finer points be taken up by Panditji, uh, because from his Shakespearean point of view, he makes <laughs> a very good mincemeat of it. But I would say that at a very fundamental level, uh, at the level of science, uh, it doesn't meet the requirements of scientific method, which the Sanatana Dharma does. Why? I would uh, just explain it very briefly is that uh, the scientific method, now it is universally accepted. The scientific method means that you have to follow the methods of what is called verifiability, universality, repeatability, and falsifiability. Now, Christianity, as generally explained, and as also very clearly explained by this Mangalwadi fellow, Vishal Mangalwadi. I haven't heard of him. And uh, I don't think whatever I heard of him, I would like to go to any of his podcasts and hear him more. Uh, I think we can even delegate it to somebody like Esther who can uh, take him down on, on the ecclesiastical and uh, on the apologetica part of it. But uh, these basic elements are not met. And uh, the Christianity, what it makes today, it just try to uh, defer to science and then try to make itself uh, uh, amenable or sort of uh, make a pretense that it is scientific. Why does it do so? Why doesn't it just admit that uh, what it preaches is a dogma? And as, as Mangalwadi was saying all the time, that uh, belief that Vedas do not teach belief. I mean, I was astounded. Why should Vedas teach belief? 
Vedas, Vedas teach you to go beyond belief. Vedas teach you everything that is there that you can see through your five senses that you have here. And all the time they're telling you that the reality is beyond this. Go beyond, go beyond, go beyond. Whereas this fellow says that was just belief. Unless you believe, then there can be uh, absolutely no redemption. Uh, you will uh, not be saved, uh, as it were. So uh, we have, uh, uh, as again, just going back to the four points, the Christian dogma can neither be verified, nor is it universal. It's available only to his followers. And uh, nor can it be repeated because it is linear time. It's not cyclical time. By their very definition, they say that it cannot be repeated. So it is not repeatable. And it's not falsifiable. Falsifiable means uh, as soon as you go and falsify it, you actually, uh, what you do is uh, do blasphemy. The principle of blasphemy applies only in Abrahamic religions. It doesn't apply in the Vedic religions. Therefore, on these four basic points, I would say, rather than going very deep into it, I would say that uh, this ought to be rejected completely. Why? Because it is unscientific. Compare it to the Vedic religions, all Vedic religions. Of course, some of them now actively try to uh, epitomize themselves, but uh, larger, the larger body of the Vedic religions. It lets you do the inquiry, the investigation. It allows you to falsify. It allows you to verify. It, in fact, does, it does say, as, as, I, as, as I pointed out, 2.46 of the Bhagavad Gita, that uh, it is for you to seek and it is for you to experience. The frameworks are totally different. What we are talking about is an experiential framework. And what they are talking about is completely an intellectual framework. And because it is an intellectual framework, then it is necessarily dogmatic. It does not let you experience. The experience is the function of science. And uh, uh, belief is the experience of dogma. So that's my opening statement. Panditji hasn't made an opening statement and he's been smiling benignly. <laughs> well, I, I've been bathing in the uh, the waterfall, the cascade that has just flown through. And I'm also uh, floundering a little bit in that cascade because so much has been said, which is uh, uh, truly remarkable. And I think much of it will actually go over the heads of um, Vishal Mangalwadi. And um, I hope to a lesser degree... That's not uh, difficult. Jordan Peterson. <laughs> Jordan Peterson. But I'm, I'm going to um, I'm going to try and bring uh, bring it to the point which really concerned me. I like many people and um, Guruji and Sanjiji in the past we've uh, had uh, exchanged ideas on on Jordan Peterson. We have watched his journey with a great deal of delight and pleasure. That here is a person who has refined his thinking faculty to such a degree that he can wield reason like a scalpel, that he is able to look at ideas, he is able to look at personalities, the play of identity, and he can deconstruct it. He can take a scalpel and cut out tumors from anybody's irrationality. And so when I saw this last conversation, um, I was devastated. You know, it was, um, it was sad to see that a person who has established his position for some, he is an idol on an altar, 
And, you know, to see that this idol has perhaps now got clay feet was such a disappointment. You know, we saw the skill with which he held his ground with compassion when he was in that interview with Kathy Newman, who insisted on straw manning him and he refused to, to, to allow that to happen. It was beautiful to watch. So I've always felt that Jordan Peterson was a, um, he had the, the varna, the tattva of a jnani, and a person who is wanting to use jnani in every situation. And when I watched that last interview, the first thought that occurred to me was, you know, what is it that makes a person who is so equipped with reasoning, he uses reasoning like a, a, an armor and a, a sword, at what point does the person who is standing on reasoning and a career on reasoning, how does he decide to abandon reason altogether? How does that mind suddenly abandon everything that it's always used to exist and to navigate existence and then just leap to accept whatever gibberish is being presented to him? And the thought that came to me then was, this is a man who is at chapter one of the Bhagavad Gita. This is Arjun in Vishadyog. Right, this is a man who is in a state of deep, dark despair. And he has put down his bow, that bow being his faculty of reasoning. And unfortunately for him, in that moment of despair, he didn't encounter Sri Krishnaji. He encountered um, a snake oil salesman, you know, a, a missionary who has, as uh, Guruji said, who has had the opportunity to gaslight him. And that was a tragedy to see that this could happen. I think it's a, there's a profound teaching in here for all of us who are navigating the journey of yoga and gyan, that this can happen. In a moment of weakness, in a moment of despair, all of a sudden he became vulnerable. And the principles with which he's navigated the Kurukshetra of his clinical psychology, they were all abandoned in a moment. He abandoned his natural training to scrutinize and to attack arguments which were completely, uh, totally false. There, there's no internal integrity to them. There's no data being presented. I mean, how many times have we heard Jordan Peterson refer to data? It's not my opinion. The data says this. And yet we didn't hear that at all. We didn't even hear him ask Mangalwadi for any data at all. So on the one hand, I saw that we had a fallen um, warrior. Uh, and on the other hand, we had uh, a snake oil salesman. Now, if I turn my attention to the snake oil salesman for a moment, you know, the, the first sign of a snake oil salesman is a complete lack of integrity, isn't it? And I've seen videos, and here is a, a gentleman who is a professed Christian. That is the identity that he has chosen. That's what he identifies as. And yet he wears garments and clothing, which is associated with people from a Sanatani tradition, a Dharmic tradition. And somebody like Jordan Peterson, who is aware of symbols and how symbols influence a person's thinking process and, and feeling processes, surely would have been um, alert to looking for those in the, the language and the presentation that this gentleman was, was putting forward to him. So we have Jordan Peterson, who has abandoned reasoning in this exchange. We have uh, a, a snake oil salesman who is peddling as a Guruji and a, um, Sanjidi have said colonialist tropes, many of them which have already been robustly disproven. And the two of them are engaged in what was really a, a troublesome conversation.
Now, the reason I felt it was really worth us getting together was twofold. One was to put a, a rebuttal and a de defense against the nonsense that Mangalwadi was uh, spouting. But secondly, I genuinely felt a moment of compassionate sadness for what had happened with Jordan Peterson. And as people who teach, I think it's, um, it's our responsibility to reach out to him with compassion and extend an invitation that if he genuinely is interested in exploring these, then we would be most welcome. Uh, he would be most welcome. We would really welcome his approach. Uh, and so please, if uh, this information does get to Jordan Peterson, as people of intellect, as people who are, who are seekers, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could sit down as friends and explore our own misunderstandings of each other, but also explore these ideas which are very pivotal at this time. So the invitation I would like to, to send out there. One um, other point that I'd like to say, and Sandeji, I think something you said sparked this off in me. You talked about dogma, and I recall um, a remark made by um, Sitaram Goyalji, where he identified that one of the failures in our tradition in dealing with Christianity is that we have not accepted it as simply a dogma. We have accepted it as a body of knowledge, which if we can understand it enough, then we can reconcile and make some sort of connection with it and put it into a framework. But that's not what a dogma is for. A dogma is simply an assertion. There's no evidence for it. And uh, one of the, the laws of logic is that dogmas, which by nature are not proven, there is no need to disprove them. There is no need to disprove a dogma because it hasn't been proven. The first emphasis um, <laughs> is that you find a statement, somebody puts forward a hypothesis, they submit some sort of a proof, and then you refute it, you deconstruct and disprove it. But something which is just a dogma is a statement. I could happily say that, um, I could assert that Santa Claus is real, okay? And there's no evidence for it, but I'm asserting it, and I'm going to use violence to reinforce it. And anybody who refutes it, they're destined to a life without any presence for the whole of eternity. Simply a dogma. And it's, uh, it's, it's a mistake to try and, I feel it's a mistake to try and deconstruct it and refute it. A dogma is to be rejected. By reasonable people, a dogma is not understood as the product of a reasoning, um, sensible, mature, analytical, intellectual mind. It's the product of a, a relatively immature, potentially barbaric mind. And so we shouldn't um, engage with it as though it was a field of knowledge. And one of the other things that sprang to my mind is, and I think we should collectively give this um, sutra our blessing and launch it into the, the ecosystems out there. The word dogma begins with D-O-G. And I think what we can do is launch G-O-D. Let's call godmas, okay? So there, are, there are these things that are godmas. And so I think we should give this as a blessing to the, uh, the, the, the ecosystems out there. Whenever you encounter a godma, please don't engage with it philosophically or intellectually. Please recognize it for what it is and reject it as having no place in the minds of wise and learned people. Um, in, um, just in, in closing on those, one last thing which really struck me as sad is the lack of respect for boundaries. You know, somebody who is like um, Jordan Peterson, who has done so much relationship counseling and so much empowerment work, much of it revolves around maintaining boundaries, establishing boundaries, maintaining boundaries. And in our personal lives, 
here in the West and certainly in Canada, with the exception of the residential schools who were run by Christians who knew nothing about boundaries. But we, we have these simple boundaries that um, I wouldn't comment on the dress code of a person standing next to me at a bus stop. I wouldn't, I would say there's a boundary there. And we naturally get on and learn each about each other when we respect boundaries and come together closely. But for some reason, there is some, well, I know exactly what it is. There is some sense of privilege whereby a person who has a lack of um, uh, melanin and especially a person who, when he's accompanied by a person who thinks he has no melanin, but has a great deal of melanin, when the two of them come together in this context, they seem to feel they can say whatever they want about whoever they want, wherever they want, without any consequence. And again, this is not the action of a person who is wise, a person who wants harmony, a person who wants friendship, a person who wants learning. These are the actions of somebody who is destructive. These are the actions of somebody who is a narcissist. These are the actions of a person who is quite capable of going to a completely different nation and inflicting psychopathic and sociopathic violence on them just because they assume the right to do so. And so I would, last, I would, I would question and conclude with, Jordan Peterson had no right to give a platform to somebody to vilify the most ancient civilization which is still extant on the planet and that was a that was a mistake which is i i would say at this time um unforgivable he absolutely should have understood what he was doing he certainly knows that bharat is a first nation an indigenous civilization which is recovering from two waves of abrahamist colonization we have fed clothed and taught the world for the best part of 2000 years and that's 2000 years of the west's history not our history and for heaven's sake all we're asking is please at least talk to us about us rather than sitting in these high volume silos and broadcasting to all of their audience what terrible people we are it's wholly inappropriate especially in this 21st century especially supposedly in the enlightened west and at this moment, I would give my voice a rest and hand back to you, Aparnaji. Just one little so, point, uh, rejoin, yeah. just, just one rejoinder to Aparnaji uh, about dogma and the need to refute dogma. The Christian dogma is far more sophisticated compared to uh, the Islamic dogma. And uh, they have in their service such eminences like Isaac Newton and the entire Isaac Newton's superlinear time concept has been used by the church to exercise its refutation of the cyclical time and that is the base on which it moved and it was very powerful until the whole time concept of the linear time got refuted or got questioned by the relativity of time and of course later on by quantum mechanics and of course now it's completely it stands almost completely refuted and even at that point of time they have very very i should say clandestinely without uh, people realizing they even managed to get stephen hawking into it and uh, they made him enunciate this uh, what is called the god particle or the uh, what is called that one moment of uh, 
uh, God explosion or whatever. So these points do need to be refuted because I have this uh, firm conviction that in order to talk about the dogmas that were very basic, you know, uh, I have uh, Dr. C.K. Raju's very famous quote, which I have used in some of my writings, and it says that time mediates between science and religion. The concept of time is the one that mediates between science and religion. Christians have used it very skillfully. So that is one point that we have to refute again and again, find out where they're using the time concept in their in the service of their dog. So on that point, you we will have to engage. <coughs> that, that, that's what I want to say. Not um, wanting to monopolize the conversation. Um, I'm, I'm a Punjabi, and so we have a very earthy um, level of engagement. And although I accept fully what you said about needing to engage with them, I would question the integrity of a tradition whose adherence even to this day are reporting a million children abused by the Church of Rome in Italy alone, of 216,000 children abused by the Church in France, right? of churches across Canada being unable to control their demonic urges and exercising them upon children. Once these issues have been dealt with, then I would accept that this is an institution which has moved from the first two, um, shall we say, Purusharth, which needs transcendence, which is calm and earth, towards an understanding of dharma. Forget moksha. Up until that moment, I don't think that there is the requirement for us to even give credence to engaging with regard to their understanding of linear time. For me, it's enough to know that they stole even the time meridian from Ujjain and planted it in Greenwich with no other intention than to colonize time itself. And on that note, I would hand back to Abadnaji. I'm, I'm completely speechless after this, uh, Panditji. Um, I would just bring back the topic to this uh, person, Vishal Mangalwadi, who, who was supported, heavily funded probably by Aspire Publications. And he has been likened to Ravi Zakaria um, of I mean, as to his missionary propaganda. And on that note, Rohitji. There is something odd because he has only 600 Twitter followers. How does a person with 600 Twitter followers get a podcast with Jordan Peterson? So somebody very influential and very powerful has made the connection. Now, uh, two observations, one on what Sanjay Ji said about Newton. People do not know that 85% of Newton's writings are theological writings. Yes, yes, yes. And the University of Oxford is sitting on them. They're too embarrassed to release them. Cambridge, whatever. He had, a, he had an obsession with the dimensions of Solomon's temple. And he used to waste a lot of his time. All the other stuff he used to throw off in his spare time. Secondly, Panditji made a, a, a question about boundaries. So I would like, since we have Panditji and we have Sanjayji here, I'd like to ask a question. It's going to be a controversial question, but I don't mind that. I'd like to ask a simple question. When we talk of the Indian freedom movement, if we ask about Muslims who fought for freedom, immediately the names come to mind, Maulana Abdul Kalam Azad, the Frontier Gandhi, and we have also uh, Asaf Ali, who was in jail with 
Sardar Patel. So my question is, without resorting to Google, could you just tell me the name of any Indian Christian who went to jail for freedom, who fought against the colonialists? Uh, well, uh, we know the names of European <laughs> Christians. <laughs> exactly. Mira Ben, Mira Ben, Charles, yeah, and, uh, you know, Kalanabak and the people who are around Mahatma Gandhi. So, uh, C.F. So, Andrews. C.F. Andrews. So where do these people get off lecturing us? Annie Besant. Hmm. Annie Besant well, was Irish and a theosophist. There so is, where do these... There is a mysterious Christian who is referred to in these cases. I remember when the Archbishop of Canterbury went to um, Jallianwalabagh and... Hmm frustrated himself there and expressed regret. When he came back to this country, he did a speech in which he said it was a terrible thing where Hindus, Sikhs, Buddhists and Christians were all shot. And I thought, hang on a moment. Sorry, hold on a moment. And so I think this must be a reference to that same mysterious Christian who likes okay. cavity, the mystery cat is never there. Um, he's, he's probably the holy ghost. We can never see him, you know, <laughs> intangible, you know. Indeed, so my, indeed. My, my question is, where does this self-confidence come to lecture us on our religion? I recently saw a Malayali Christian girl talk to a Swamiji from the Saraswati Parampara, the, one of the Dashanami, and telling him in Hinduism, this is Hindu. She's actually lecturing a, a Swami. So where does this come from? You know, like, I mean... What what is the level of skin in the game and all these uh, notions of school? We know from the speaking tree by you know Dharmapal historian that ninety five percent literacy in India across all communities. First, you destroy our entire educational system, then you open up a few schools, and then you claim credit for that. I mean, honestly, where does all this come from? And this constant Brahmins controlling temples, even today in Tamil Nadu, out of 39,000 temples, one third only have Brahmin priests. The rest, two thirds of the temples have priests who are not allowed to be Brahmins by the parampara. So where does all this easy propaganda flow from and this easy slander flow from? And on what basis? Your schools and your hospitals, we didn't ask you. We didn't eat like pigs and drink like fishes that we needed hospitals. Our Ayurvedic wife was enough for us. Where does this come from? Where does this supreme... Of course, it comes from the fact that we are all languishing in outer darkness and they have to save our souls from, from perdition and hellfire. Of course, it comes from there. But, you know, I mean, have some sense. You see, the very fact that I'm asking two highly educated people, I've tried to stunt the whole week with friends of mine. Can you name me an Indian Christian who went to jail for the freedom struggle? And everybody is like flabbergasted. And I'm like, so where do they get the ability to lecture us from? On what basis? And we have never raised the issue. We've never insulted them for it. We have given them equal rights. In fact, more rights than the majority community. And they still come piling on to us. So now I'm going by Sanjay Dijat that uh, let's not be polite. Let's be little impolite where it is needed. You know? So I'm being impolite here. Where do you get <laughs> off? Where do you get off telling us these things? I think it's because of two factors. One is they have to. Because if they don't fill the bandwidth with criticisms about us, 
then their target audience will want to know more about us. If you look at Europe, Europe has a history of enlightenment and then darkness, enlightenment and then darkness. And it's actually sort of mappable. When the romantics, as they were called, the school of philosophers in Europe, suddenly started to talk about enlightenment ideas, it was immediately after they appreciated Eastern and especially Sanatani wisdom. Over a dramatically short period of time, that was snuffed out and Europe has plunged back into this religious darkness, which is driven through the religious institutions. And they have to do this because their product is fake. They're actually peddling snake oil. And can you imagine what the, what is the biggest fear for a snake oil salesperson? It's loss of their market by the appearance of an authentic remedy. And so they have to fill all the bandwidth. They have to hack their subsequent generations and plant the seeds in their subconscious that they then too will go out and do ridiculous things like go and try and invade an island in India where the natives have said, if you come to this island, we will shoot arrows at you. You know, don't disturb our tranquility. But a person can be hacked to such a degree where they will even do that. And so this whole notion of evangelically spreading the good news is actually a part of their PR. And it's almost Goebbelsian in how it uh, harms both the person who is infected by it and the person who they would seek to infect by it. But it is a losing battle because as, as our ancients have taught us, the, the solution for avidya is vidya. And they have been peddling avidya across generations and across continents for so long. They are petrified that if vidya now gen is proliferated, if real understanding of the human condition, if a deeper understanding of the human spirit becomes all pervasive, then 1400 years of atrocities against human uh, rights and uh, human beings, um, genocide, ethnocide, cultural ethnocide, all of these things suddenly become revealed in their stark reality. And the last thing that they want to do and want to permit is a genuine and open conversation about this. Uh, Guruji, I'll share with you that this coming weekend on the 6th and the 7th, uh, 5th and 6th in London, there is an international conference on the freedom of religion and belief. And it's heavily supported by American Christian missions. Obviously, here in London, it's heavily supported by the evangelical missions and the, uh, the Church of England. In the main core conference, not a single Hindu voice is allowed to speak and to present anything to the audience. And so we have the two traditions, the Abrahamist traditions, which have filled the bandwidth, the global bandwidth, with their godma. Um, and they are not permitting uh, a dharmic voice to actually contribute to it. So it is, it's nothing other than a snake oil sales philosophy, de definitely um, petrified of what will happen if its market share is lost, acting to protect itself. And that's all it is. It's enslavement incorporated, wanting to protect its own power structures and its own base of wealth. If I just might add one thing to the Avidya and Vidya comparison that was made by Pandiji. In the Sanatani tradition, we make use of both. You know, we don't discard Avidya either, see. As Isha Vasya Upanishad says that, okay. Avidyam cha vidyam cha yastada vedo bhayam sa. Avidyaya mrityum tirtva. Vidyaya mrityumashnute. So, what they are 
indulging in or what they're wallowing in is not even avidya. It, it, it is, it is uh, not even a, a gyan, one might say. Uh, I, I should say that uh, they are wallowing in complete darkness. It's, it's, it's a complete kind of uh, darkest band of darkness that they are wallowing in and calling it as delight. So there is a very little solution to that, except for uh, actually shine a torch in front of them and uh, that uh, they will get blinded. Because in our tradition, it is very clear that in order even to know Vidya, you have to know Avidya first. So Vidya, Avidya have to go together and you can make use of Avidya also. Avidya Mrityum Tirtva. It's some of the most wonderful, profound words ever uttered in human history. But these people, because they prefer the darkest corner of darkness, they don't even want any light to be shown. It's just power, Sanjay Ji. truth. That's Mangalwadi's take on it. You know? I mean, the Gita has a phrase, Agyana Vimohita, you know, and I think we seen agyan mein vimohit ek insaan ka example can you imagine can you imagine how fearful they must be one swami vivekanand equipped with the language of their flock of their congregation arrives in america and changes the direction the spiritual direction of the whole civilization and now what's happened is bharat is producing people who can speak directly to their mentally enslaved congregations and guide them to being completely free of intellectual and emotional enslavement. They are, they are frightened and they know that what they have to do is to use every means to try and confuse us, to weave words and mythology and confusion and everything else so that we don't pierce it and reach their audiences with a, a genuine knowledge. I was speaking to somebody yesterday and, I, and it struck me that the, the thing that they are frightened about the most is that we teach that divinity resides in the heart of every human being and every life form. Can you imagine if you've built your empire on teaching that divinity lies elsewhere and you've got the visa and you've got the air ticket to get there? It's, it's as simple as that. It's nothing more complicated than that. It is merely protectionism, monopolistic, aggressive colonialism. They have colonized the dimension of human spirituality and they do not want to relinquish it. He mentioned Swami Vivekananda. When he mentioned Swami Vivekananda. I'd like to mention something that Swami Vivekananda said about these kind of tactics. Remember, he died in 1905. Or 1902, I'm not sure, but you know, it's well over a century now. He said that if all of India picked up all the mud at the Indian Ocean and threw it on the West, it would still not be a fraction of the abuse heaped on us by the missionaries. And I'm afraid Mr. Mangalwadi is just following in that grand and miserable tradition. You know, it's like that bad. Yeah, Guruji, sorry. may I point to the specific Avidya points that mm. they um, they toss around? 
So first it was we throw ourselves like lemmings or like fools under the chariot and the word juggernaut entered the Indian language. That was disproved. Then it was that we throw babies for to feed the crocodiles. And as Swami Vivekananda himself pointed out, the mother is brown or black and the baby is white because that gets more donations. And then they started about Sati. Now after Meenakshi Jain's book on Sati, I think the whole argument is moot. It has been demolished forever, but they still act as if it is still ongoing. You know, the, the point is they are still living in a late 18th, early 19th century. I made this point very clearly. And then about this breast tax, which is now the latest point of attack. And I'm seeing a lot of Malayalam films pick it up. A lot of YouTube videos are coming. This is the latest point of attack. Now, they are calling it a tax on lower caste people wearing clothes. If you wear, you have to pay a tax. No, that was not how it was. It was an unfortunate turn of phrase. It meant tax on women laborers, which is actually less. It was actually less than the tax on the men. And they were attacking, they specifically attacked Travancore in that because Travancore rulers were known as Dharmarajas. And they did not put up with missionary activity. So Travancore has been a long problem. And then they make outrageous statements like Travancore had more slaves, Travancore had breast tax. Then he says the priest. You know, this is what I call salacious morality. You know, they have this whole thing of sexuality that they are fascinated by and at the same time, oh, oh, bad people. You know, so the priests would make the women take off the upper cloth. No, men and women would take off because the rule in the temple was you go to the you go to the pond and Kerala right up to 1910, 1920, there was no concept of having any clothes on the upper body. In fact, most of classical India, there was no concept of having clothes on the upper body. You know, this is an absolutely ridiculous thing. This has been refuted hundreds of times, but of course, they don't care. They don't care that this whole breast tax business is made up. It is a misinterpretation. It was a categorization. It was a categorization of taxes collected from workers. And, you know, the and then, of course, caste and atrocities and Brahmin priests and not teaching people after Dharmapal's book of the speaking tree, how can you say that other castes didn't have education? You know, like how long does this continue? Don't you do your basic research? Due diligence is a thing or not? And attacking Travancore rulers, you know, like, of course, like I said, I know why they attack the Travancore rulers, you know, because the Travancore rulers used to clamp down hard. And he's still upset about it when the state of Travancore has not existed since 1947. <laughs> <laughs> he is still upset about it. All right. What can we do about it? But these are all, even to, uh, even to answer them is demeaning in a way. You know, these kind of uh, malicious and spiteful and petty, petty sort of allegations. But I mean, Jordan Peterson just sat there. And like he even said that, you know, like an appalling thing, he said that this is like the Holocaust. 
burning of people in like the Holocaust. And I'm like, Jordan Peterson, have you heard of protocols of the elders of Zion? You know, this is what you're doing. I mean, you're an intellectual, for God's sake. This is the most important book written by Minakshi Jain, you know, on the whole topic and how it is an entirely fabricated and malicious thing. And you're comparing it to the Holocaust. This is blood libel. This is an absolutely unacceptable thing from a man of your stature. You could have said, I don't know. And instead of that, he retreated into some because he has this ego investment in this concept that the Logos is the foundation of all that is good and wonderful and all Western democracy flows from there. Western democracy is a Greco-Roman. You know, you take away the Greco-Roman and all you have a bunch of people painting themselves in wood and slaughtering each other. It was an appalling thing to see. So I don't think, yes, these are these are specific. But like I said, that is not the point of this video because that is just part of the attack mechanism. If you are going to start talking on each spoke on the wheel, then it will be a problem. These are just these are just things which are debunked after breast tax. Now the pushback on breast tax is happening. They'll find something else. Don't worry. You know, just like from juggernaut babies to crocodiles, sati. So it is just a, it is just part of the pattern. So you know to demean ourselves by refuting, I just wanted to make the point that the breast tax is a misunderstanding. And anyway, it is complete nonsense. There was no such thing. Up to the see, I am a Malayali. I'm a Malayali from Travancore. My uh, maternal grandfather was a lawyer. His brother used to stand in the Choraha and hand out blouses to the people because we had internalized the British thing that this is a, you know, who actually put a breast tax people Sultan. <laughs> These shameless people wandering around exposing their chest. <laughs> he actually, but of course, nobody will ever talk about that because, you know, he's like a hero. He's like a secular hero. He's a, you know, this is the, the reality we are in, you know, a Sharia compliant nation, you know. So, yeah. uh, I irony is that we are being told all this who justify themselves uh, talking to us about caste and how bad we were when hmm. they were still selling and owning slaves till 1865. Till uh, 1860, till 1860, the Jews were kept in a ghetto in the city of Rome, the holy city. So they are the ones who have the privilege and the justification to tell us all this. Yes, but none of this comes from a place of integrity or truth. None of this comes from a place of integrity or truth, as you know, Panditji and Sanjayji have been just saying that. No, they're just finding key. You know, there's a Russian proverb: if you want to beat a dog, you can always find a stick. So they're just finding any kind of stick. Abhi breast tax ka stick hai. Kal ko char hoga. Sati, Sati. The, 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 the stick of caste is always there. Uh, of course, of course. Well, they, know, is... they shy away from using that in the United Kingdom now because yeah. we took stick and beat them up with it absolutely um, it's happening more and more Sanjayji. any discussion in india will always end up with sati and caste it is the goodwin's law like in the old days any discussion in a forum would end up with hitler you know any discussion on hindu issues will always end up with sati and caste it's absurd it's beyond absurd that is happening, especially the issue of the caste. Is, yeah. It is happening when there is absolutely no mention of caste anywhere in the Indian tradition. 
And uh, what people have done, they have misinterpreted selectively. They've taken out a few uh, sutras or they've uh, taken out a few shlokas from here and there from the lesser shastras mostly. And uh, they will never mention the great discussions about uh, the Varna. Of course, the, the term caste never existed. We always had either Varna or Jati. The so Jati is uh, like your Kula or your uh, lineage. And uh, uh, the lineage is something that the West actually uh, feasts upon and prides upon. So that uh, they'll never confound it or they'll, they're never going to <clears throat> uh, put it together with caste. But uh, Jatis become caste or Varna is also diffused into caste. Whereas uh, uh, I have been saying for such a long time, Jaipur Dialogues has a standing reward of rupees 6 lakhs to prove that uh, birth-based Varna is actually uh, recommended by our scriptures. In any case, we know that all our scriptures are descriptive and never prescriptive. Even uh, when Gita the, is being talked about and uh, Gita is being preached to Arjuna by Sri Krishna, <clears throat> uh, there is this tradition that says that Sri Krishna was asked after the Mahabharata war was over uh, because uh, in the midst of that battle, Sri Krishna was preaching the Bhagavad Gita and everybody was standing still and wondering what's going on. And uh, nobody else could hear it, only Arjuna could hear it. So it's, it's the same thing uh, said about that when uh, Sri Krishna went to for that reconciliation meeting in Dhritarashtra's court. And when he showed his uh, Virat Swarup, the only people who could see that Virat Swarup was uh, other than I think nobody else was present there. there only uh, Bhishma and Vidur and only Bhishma and Vidur could see it. Nobody else could even see it. Duryodhan didn't even know what it had hit him. So when he was asked that, what were you doing for a couple of hours sitting in the middle of the battlefield and telling Arjun something and Arjun was sitting in the back of the Ratha and not getting up and then you were t t teaching him something. What was that? So that what? I didn't tell him anything. So he insisted. Uh, I think it is recounted somewhere in Mahabharata only, or maybe Harivanshan. I am forgetting the reference. So people who are watching, if you know the reference, please enlighten me. Uh, he said, whatever I said was for Arjuna. It wasn't for you. And even to him, in the end, he gave him a choice. I have told you what I knew. Now it is your choice. You do what you want. And it is then that uh, when uh, Arjuna surrenders himself, and it is uh, then that he says that Sarvadarman Parityajya Mavekam Sharanam Vajam Antvam Sarvapapibhyo Mokshishyami Mahasucha. That comes only after Arjuna actually exercises the choice. Of saying, okay, I just surrender myself to you. I'll do what you will tell me. It is then that he says that. So in our tradition, there's absolutely no room for dictation at all. And it is that tradition that is being, I should say, that being vilified 
in such a crass manner by somebody called a Mangalwadi. I don't think he's a Mangalwadi at all. This should, should be a bad omen, actually. Nothing to do with Mangal. Uh, and uh, Jordan Peterson stays quiet. Of course, uh, I don't blame Jordan Peterson. If he, was, he admits that he doesn't know anything about India. But uh, as uh, Rohitji said, as Pandiji said, it was incumbent upon him to at least uh, either have somebody to counter him or to have learned something basic. Learned, uh, gone to some uh, great people, those uh, who went around teaching quantum mechanics to the world. They were the people who were inspired by Upanishads. Why don't they ask him? Or the great people, great philosophers, like and great science philosophers, science and Vedic philosophers, like uh, Professor Subhash Kaag. They're sitting there over there. You could have invited them. I can suggest to him that why, why, why doesn't he talk to Professor Subhash Kak? He, he has this rare wisdom of combining uh, science and quantum mechanics and uh, uh, great uh, knowledge about physics and artificial intelligence with Vedas. And he has just propounded a theory that is called theory of E dimensions. And E dimensions of gravity is actually completely revolutionizing physics which has been static for the last 70 80 years after quantum mechanics there's not been no revolution there's not no uh, movement forward in physics they haven't got onto the unified field theory only because the whole idea of the uh, three dimensions and gravity is probably flawed and then he comes out with this e-dimensional theory where he says that the universe is actually not uh, three-dimensional but E-dimensional, and E is equal to the Euler's constant, which is about 2.74 something something. And uh, when you put that uh, into the equations, you find the perfect explanation for the expansion and contraction theory, which our Sanatana tradition has had for I don't know how many millennia. So I would urge Jordan Peterson if to engage with people like him. And certainly, we can also fill in, maybe as lesser mortals. You know, why were, why Pandiji, were you wanted to share something also, Pandiji? Um, yeah, I was just thinking about Jordan Peterson again. And it keeps coming back to me that this is a, uh, um, a very valuable Jivatma in a great deal of distress. Um, all of the things that Sanjayji has mentioned, um, just the normal due diligence that one does before inviting somebody onto a platform, you know, it's a thought that, hang on, is this person going to compromise my integrity? Is this person going to compromise my life's work? And yet none of that was evident there. And, you know, we had, um, there's a, a term in psychology called anosognosia. And it means the condition whereby a person is lacking in a dimension of self-awareness. So a racist is not aware of his own racism. A colonialist is not aware of his own colonialism. And it struck me that it was Jordan Peterson, a white Christian sitting in Canada, a land which has recently stood up, the, the, the indigenous people are recently standing up and saying, this is the scale of atrocities done to us and our children. And yet he is completely oblivious to the the wake behind them, the trail of civilizational debris, which can be traced to where his feet are standing. He's completely oblivious to all of that. And yet 
he can reach into our history and go back into the Brahm Sutra, into some ancient scriptures and somehow find fault with us in this day and age and say, that is, you know, I'm sorry, I'd like to hold you up on it and hold you accountable. Can you understand the level of the lack of self-awareness that is in a person's mind when they can do that? You know, this is the the ideology, the Christian ideology that, that created the Criminal Tribes Act, saying that some Hindus are born criminals. Well, if we accept the logic of that, 1871 it was, then for heaven's sake, white Christians, they're all born colonialists. I can see more evidence to support that assertion, even though it's a bit godmatic, than, uh, than there is to support the assertion that we have flaws which are indigenous, which are systemic, which are cultural, which are religious, for which we have to repeatedly be held accountable. So there is a, uh, an issue there, and I, I really would love to have an opportunity to sit with Jordan and see as a Sanatini civilization, you know, we are, our history is helping people cross the ocean of Sansar, right, to be able to navigate all of these turmoils, all of the suffering, and come to a shore where we can finally rest in our own true nature. And if there is one person who I think is approaching that um, chasm, I see Jordan Peterson. It may be that he's already tumbled into it. But wouldn't it be wonderful if we could help him in his final journey, fulfill our role in this um, human evolution and help him cross that final, final few yards which he has to go. And um, maybe some good will come out of this um, atrocity literature masquerading as a, a, a dialogue that occurred between him and um, uh, Vishal Mangalwadi. I feel something good can come of it. We have tried to make something good come out of it. Uh, and really, it's uh, the choice is down to him now. We'll be happy to embrace him and uh, we might beat him up a little bit verbally, but you know that's part of the process. But it would be lovely to engage in a positive note and see what we can retrieve from this. Uh, so, sir, I just wanted to add that uh, somebody commented this video podcast that we are talking about. It was initially called How the Bible Shaped India. And then it was changed to How the Bible is Still Changing the World. And now finally it has been changed to India, Europe and the Biblical Revolution. And change to... again, don't worry. <laughs> in in, in uh, uh, Panditji mentioned a... a... He mentioned a concept, a psychological concept. Panditji, could you repeat that? You said the... Anno, it's A-N-O, Anno, Sognosia, Anno Sognosia. Yeah, and, and, and it means? And it means that you're lacking a certain degree of self-awareness, which allows you to look at yourself from outside and mm. recognize failings and flaws. So a racist can never recognize their own racism because they have it so deeply embedded and they can't disentangle themselves from it to be able to reflect upon it. And this is, is it, a, a necessity. Is it, not, is it not appalling that we have to say a thing like that for a man like Jordan Peterson? Gee, well, you have, um, you have pieced together the pieces of the jigsaw, which I was hoping he would piece together. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe he needs to have it presented to him in this, in this yeah. manner. You know, I know of another concept. It's a concept from Christian theology, and it's called invincible ignorance. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so who, who was displaying it on that podcast? I don't want to get into it. Viewers can make up their own mind. In in my humble opinion, it was equally manifest on both sides. But I I just like to I just like to 
point out a Facebook post that Professor Peterson made on World Yoga Day, June 21st, and the level of cognitive dissonance that he seems to have. I'll just read it out quickly. It's very small. So what he says is, uh, I think the idea of white privilege is absolutely reprehensible, and it's not because white people aren't privileged. We have all sorts of privileges, and most people have privileges of all sorts. I would say you should be grateful for your privilege and work to deserve them. But the idea that you can target an ethnic group with a collective crime, regardless of the specific innocence or guilt of the constituent elements of that group, question mark, there is absolutely nothing that's more racist than that. He said this on June 21st, 2022 of this year. And I'd like to ask Professor Peterson, what do you think you are doing to Hindus? Out of this, your own this, mouth, you have condemned yourself. Since he likes scripture quotation so much, I'll, I'll give this, him... this. This podcast was before this or after this? No, <laughs> he 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 made this after the podcast. Oh, the so podcast was in the early in the early part of June, and he did this on World Yoga Day, June twenty first, which is just a coincidence, and it's a happy coincidence that today is Rathiyatra, so our juggernaut is rolling. You know. <laughs> Guruji, Guruji, would you like me to go on to the questions? Or... Please. I'm, it's up to them. I'm, I'm fine. One, one thing with uh, what uh, Guruji has just said there. In the interview with Kathy Newman, she was projecting a straw man onto him all the time. She was always saying, what you're saying is, and he was saying, no, no, I, I'm not saying that. So she was projecting a straw man onto him. He identified it, found it uncomfortable and rebutted it. Vishal Mangalwadi was projecting a straw man about who we are. It was a complete fabrication. It was a total straw man. And yet he didn't interrogate it. He didn't recognize it. He just accepted it purely and solely, literally on face value, because the person in front of him had a face which could assume some degree of subliminal authority in front of all of us. And that's all it was. And so that's just another level of um, disappointment that um, where was his scrutiny? You know, we really needed it. You, you, you can't have a platform where your spoken word reaches millions and then abandon all caution, abandon all sensitivity, abandon all self-awareness and allow somebody who is so prejudiced, who is a useful idiot, in the hands of one of the most rapacious institutional ideologies that humanity has ever known. And you cannot give them free reign and then rub your hands and say, Tika, chalta hai. No, I'm sorry, it doesn't. Uh, we really do need to try and work to, to heal this harm. I'd, I'd like to tell everybody that Jordan Peterson has been removed from Twitter just yesterday. <laughs> Why? Uh, he misgendered a trans activist. He called a person who, uh, her when, her or he, or I don't know what, but transgender. A girl who transitioned to being a boy, he called her instead of calling him. So Twitter has removed his, he's locked his account till he deletes the tweet. And he said he's not going to delete the tweet. So unfortunately, we can't tag him on Twitter now. <laughs> <laughs> But again, this is a wonderful, a wonderful demonstration how a person in the West has the right and freedom to say yeah. this is my pronoun, but yes. the whole of the Hindu civilization has no right to say, I'm sorry, you're misidentifying who we are. 
but we are in darkness no they have come to bring the light to us you know there shall be a weeping and a wailing of gnashing of teeth we are all languishing they are taking time out of their valued life to save us and we ungrateful people are getting angry about the saviors descending upon us like locusts you know <laughs> how shameful who, who, who was it who was it who said the the pathway to hell is littered with good intentions and white saviors and white saviors <laughs> it's originally a roman saying i don't know who added on the <laughs> I'm 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 more or less done. If they have uh, Sanjay ji or Pandit ji has anything more to say, or we can move to the questions as you please. I was actually totally enjoying this last conversation of me yours. Me too. Me too. Me too. <laughs> I would have preferred. So we can, if you say, we can go on to the questions. Please, please, certainly. So the first one said, Sanjay sir, with all due respect, apart from the Christian missionary issues, shouldn't the Hindus, Sikhs, Jains, Buddhists, Jews, Christians be united against Islam? I meant, shouldn't that be the priority? And I may add that the speakers have um, speakers can reject the question if it is irrelevant. No, it's not in, in, irrelevant. Uh, this question of unity is a, a multifaceted one. Okay, what kind of unity? You know, you have to nuance that unity. And uh, if you mean physical unity, I think uh, that uh, I don't think should even be the goal. Uh, intellectual unity, that I think to some extent can be achieved. And uh, that uh, probably because uh, the entire West and the all Western dogmas, uh, they are operating at the level of intellect. And therefore, I think intellectual unity is something that uh, we require. And I would think that uh, over the last uh, five, ten years, there is a fair amount of intellectual unity around that uh, that is actually making the West insecure. And ever since we got around to uh, debunking their favorite theories like the Aryan invasion theory, like the caste theory and uh, the lesser ones, as we talk about the breast tax theory and the other theories, uh, then the, that's that's actually making them uneasy. And uh, that priority, this, uh, well, there are things that can go move together. That let's not prioritize one over the other. There's so many things that we've done, and they can move to see that, that they, they don't have to move serially. They can move parallelly. Is uh, an observation on this question, Guruji? If you have something you'd like to say, please go ahead. No, okay. So, should we be united against Islam? No, emphatically no. Because if we are, then we fall into the the drama of polarity and identity politics. We should be emphatically against adharma. We should be emphatically fighting against asat. We should be emphatically challenging ahimsa. Those are the, the teachings, surely. Um, the, the Gita and the Mahabharat teach time and time again. How many times did Krishnaji say, fight for dharma and only for dharma, not for your family, not for your relationships, not for your honor, not for your wealth. All of those exist at a sub-level. There is a greater level which will give you the energy and the blessing, and that is to protect dharma. I'm always aware of one of the statements in the Yoga Vashisht that you know, the earth produces bodies. It's taken her such a long time to get to the stage where there is an ecosystem. 
where bodies can be created and atma come and occupy and attach themselves to those bodies. So every body is actually a divine creation. We have the capacity and the message to teach to people to come out of identity-based violence. And it doesn't matter what the identity-based violence is, whether you're gurus, whether you're bandhavs, um, whether you're Christians, Jews, Muslims, etc. Our vision and our unique vision is that a human being can rise above all of those identity um, labels. And that's the ultimate violence that we're trying to challenge. So I think without falling into the whirlpool of identitarian violence, we can actually try and hold a strong space and say there is actually a better option. If I can use an example, the way in which the world was imploring Bharat to rush in on one side, pro-Ukraine or pro-Russia, come in and Bharat said, well, actually, there is a third way and we're going to hold a different space whilst all of your craziness settles down and you work out the, the import of your actions. And it's a unique space, which I don't think we should... So is this the 4th of July celebration already started? We, cannot, we, cannot. we can go on to the next question. So this is Abhinav asking, this is the video of JP's lecture related to the earlier super chat that I posted on whatever, on his link. Next question, please. That, that video was a super embarrassment, by the way. It was an amazing display of ignorance on his part. It is really quite tragic to see that Pali video. I know that video he's talking about. Let us draw over it the veil of charity. The next question says, Jung avoided men, men, meeting Ramana Maharishi on his vid, visit to India. Could it be the same frame of mind that Dr. Peterson wants to remain ignorant of the ancient Hindu, Hindu wisdom and self-deception keeps maintaining a positive view of his own beliefs? Uh, well, I, I, I can answer a little, little bit of this. As Carl Jung, uh, of course, uh, all his psychoanalysis is actually based on uh, the Indian philosophy of and uh, we based it heavily on the Indian philosophy of Vak, which has uh, four dimensions, as we know. That is uh, Vakari, Madhima, Pashanti, and Para. And uh, he also built his uh, philosophy, or rather his, his uh, cherry, on this basis. But as was the custom at that time, he got it double-checked by the church, and the church emphatically removed the para part of it. Because if the church were to accept para, then the entire edifice of church would collapse. So you can see how deeply embedded the church has been. And that is why I say that this uh, aspect of science that it selectively uses to perpetuate its dogma that also needs to be culled and that needs to be uh, destroyed by reason and argument. Would you like to add on to this, Panditji, Guruji? Jini, I think um, Sanjayji's uh, offering was, was wonderful. The next question is, if all the Hindus develop a mentality like 
iskon then the whole world will get converted to hinduism i would be very happy to convert hindus to hinduism <laughs> this was swami chinmayananda told me this then my job is to convert hindus to hinduism i hope you will also do it i'm trying in my own way but you know ye pure duniya ko convert karne se pehle let's convert our own people you know oh i i have been banned from facebook for some time because i called somebody a hindu leptard so oh i've been put in it the question so that's been forward though there is a serious dimension to this i have to disagree vehemently with the proposition because we exist in a dharmakshetra kurukshetra it's not a dharmakshetra dharmakshetra a samudra manthan is going on all the time and you can't say the samudra manthan will work if there are only the devas and not the dhanas right and so the it's a reality that this place that we are in is in perpetual churn and you cannot pretend to you know, that the 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 darker forces don't exist you know the, the dodo disappeared it was a beautiful bird it was very colorful and yet it had no mechanism to be able to defend its own right to exist um and we we have to stop this dodo thinking and i always say to people who put forward this proposition if they can answer for me one simple question why was it that sri krishna ji didn't give the gita updesh to duryodhan not even parmatma can teach the 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 frame of mind which is not ready to receive it when are we going to understand that by us pretending that uh, teaching the gita to everybody will suddenly do what sri krishna ji himself couldn't do is the reality and so no we need to understand that sri krishna ji says in the bhagavad gita he created four aptitude types he created kshatriya tatva for a reason and it wasn't so that they would pick up a mala and dance in the streets and um chant a mantra it was because a balance needs to be restored in a, an existence of duality both parts have to play their role otherwise ignorance and darkness prevail and so no we must not develop the mentality like iskon um i call this by the way i have a name for it and that's the um the som the somnath psychosis only hindus would be foolish enough to allow somebody to defeat them 16 times demolish their mandirs and then just keep building it without thinking hang on a moment is there another solution you know we tried everything we tried praying to bolenath they bolenath will come and save somnath mandir actually he was otherwise occupied you know when are we going to get the message that there is an engaged tone to uh, an engagement attempt which is deceitful duplicitous and delusional So no we have to engage with the problem Krishnji said to Arjun I will guide you I will give you everything you need to know but you have to pick up your bow he didn't say go and get your amridangam and um, and dance in front of these people so that that this this thought process it's something we have to scrutinize and decide for ourselves whether it is satya personally I do not find it to be satya Pandit ji you so beautifully weave this unabashed punjabi speech with the victorian restraint <laughs> and i feel like writing it down what do you say and engage to turn to the engagement <laughs> um, my, can... children, my children call me macaulay's nightmare well <laughs> 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 you know you have this posh of uh, oxbridge accent 
and he's taking an axe to the whole edifice you know <laughs> and he's he's got a you know chandigarh sense of humor <laughs> on this question <clears throat> just my little two bits uh is that uh, uh, i think uh, we also need to all the dharmic people uh, i think uh, they some of them have too much of the exclusivism okay my path alone is the correct path and uh, that creates problems uh, i think uh, i have a very simple proposition that uh, okay uh, let's just agree to what is common to everybody otherwise uh, arya samajis are trying to convert everyone to <laughs> their uh, style opposing murti puja everywhere and uh, not realizing that they are also into a dogma that uh, you cannot uh, stand on a dogma and oppose another dogma and uh, i also find it problematic the iskon world view that uh, okay that uh, uh, krishna is the supreme god i think um, we all need to simply rather than uh, going into the minutia and going into the uh, micro nuances just agree on four basics that almost every dharmic civilization every dharmic culture has and that is dharma karma sansara and moksha i would think that uh, these four are common to everyone nobody disputes that and uh, i think if we can get everybody to agree to that then we might be able to convert others also otherwise most most of the time we are trying to convert hindus to hinduism and vice versa sandeep there is a great beauty in what you have said and that is identifying the common denominators because those common denominators they give us an in group but they also help us to understand who the out group is but there is one one principle which i i hold on to tightly and hope that we never discard and that is that if you are an arya samaji and you believe that you have got the right path our tradition says you're entitled to believe that and that's great right you are you have the freedom to believe that you have the freedom to discard that belief you have the freedom to sample other ideologies and paths no problems whatsoever and it's that freedom which is at the heart of everything that we have and that should be the freedom at the heart of every sampraday the moment a sampraday loses the freedom of for a human being to engage in intellectual emotional societal religious cultural sadhana experimentation then we lose something bigger and we become abrahamic which is that the freedom to be able to change one's mind and the freedom to allow other peoples to change their mind that's at the root of what gives us life eternally yes yes that's in fact the, that that's exactly the point i'm making that you have fully full freedom full entitlement to follow the path that you follow but that doesn't mean that uh, you disparage others and tell them that okay your path is wrong whereas they are also basically votaries of the four common principles that uh, i laid out 
one day I will have a conversation with, I've been putting this together, I will have a conversation with um, our friends and brothers and sisters in the Arya Samaj tradition. I think it's long overdue. We should be having these conversations in a loving, compassionate and friendly manner. We are in moving into that stage, I feel. So I look forward to the opportunities to have these. It'll be wonderful to be part, a part of this change. There's a related remark uh, from the audience which says that uh, Hindus have been facing this cultural genocide by, you know, dividing us among us. And uh, it is only now that we have started taking a notice of it and refuting it or fighting back. So this is from the audience. Nick, the next question is that Jordan Peterson has strangely been talking to some Islamic scholars. I wonder what he was trying to patch. Maybe, maybe it was a, a modern day, an upgrade to the, the old uh, uh, Benin conference where they decided how they were going to carve up Africa. Um, but, you know, it, it's funny. The earth oh, is flat. The earth is a flat, is a dogma. The earth is a cube, is a dogma. And when there are conferences between flat earthers and cubic earthers, then I think we should allow them to, to carry on and, uh, and have a chat until they invite us. And then we can talk about, well, maybe it could be spherical. And uh, of course, everyone is entitled to update their software. <laughs> Flat Earthers and um, the next question Flat says... You, you, you don't know this is this, this, uh, the largest uh, Sunni sect in India is called the Barelvi sect. And uh, its founder, uh, uh, Sheikh Ahmad Raza Barelvi, he's written... Uh, three volume book to prove that the earth is flat and sun moves around the earth three volumes can you imagine i look forward <laughs> to the day when elon musk enters into faith and decides to host an interfaith conference in orbit putting all of the leading scholars into a rocket and taking them up to a certain height so they can take their rulers out and gauge the degree to which the horizon is flat or not um, it should be a relatively short be interesting to see who returns well i'll forward to you one little fiction i wrote uh, of course uh, it's, it's at, uh, too much of a flight of fancy uh, but then it's something on, along these lines where it's four or five people they go to the moon and while they are on the moon the earth implodes and disappears and then the uh, uh, next description is what happens to the faithfuls over there. <laughs> I'm supposed to read the next question. <laughs> if, I, if I can make a suggestion, um, I don't think we should consider the next question. There's a great tragedy behind that. And it's it's not our place to to explore that idea at all. With respect. So I'd there like is a question. Clarify that. I'd like to clarify that, that I wear the mask to symbolize stifle voice. Actually, mm -hmm. it's part of my sadhana. There is a certain thing that needs to be accomplished. And I ask everybody to respect that it's part of my sadhana. Yeah, I, I said that it symbolizes stifle voice because people prefer secular arguments to spiritual arguments. But the fact of the matter is it is part of my sadhana. And so please respect it. You know? Next question, next question says, Shri Krishna didn't fight. 
if he did we would have fought the war we would have finished it in no time it is clear that we have to fight the god won't come to fight for us so this is exactly what you said dharm kshetra kurukshetra actually let me put it this way you know if people don't have time then they can all they can do is that bhagavad gita they can read the uh, the first shloka that says dharm kshetra kurukshetra samaveta yojatsava उटम Wisdom without action also is fruitless. Thank you so much, Sandeji. So much in so 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 few moments. Thank you. There is another remark which says that UNESCO recognizes indigenous traditions. Why can't we capitalize on this? Nature-based traditions, pure science, as opposed to these flat earthers, can't can't this be used? And not just the flat earthers, but cubic earthers that you said. <laughs> so, this is a good observation, but there there are two things. One is the United Nations passed a resolution. This is one of my favorite sort of areas of study, um, the United Nations Declaration on the Rights of Indigenous People, and 177 countries signed up to it, and it basically says that every state. has an obligation to protect its indigenous civilizations their religions their traditions and their community assets clearly stated but in order to be able to leverage that you need to have a bit of an ecosystem you need to have a bit of um uh you need to have a united nations representative can you imagine at the united nations there is no hindu representative there are state representatives and many of the other states have got christian representatives there are states who represent christianity at the united nations but we do not have a united nations hindu voice we have got a long way to go but there is the other aspect of it and that is that unesco is a framework created by colonialists and the structures within it have been specifically architected it's like a, a maze isn't it um, a mouse is introduced into a maze and it believes that one day it will get out of the maze and exhaust itself running around the maze where sometimes what's required is for the mouse to actually break the maze and so there are impediments to us utilizing that un drip um that declaration but let's find a way of doing it if we can muster enough support if we can get enough people to put together resources time and ability I'm more than happy I'd be very willing to be involved in some mechanism to get the Hindu voice represented at the United Nations. I'm sorry I was muted. Uh the next question is on a probability adjusted basis and considering the history of as is there even a net cost benefit to the present or explain our reality views and dharma to as abrahamics christians and muslims 
even to the likes of JDP? I think that's Panditji who can answer this. Is well, I, I would say yes, yes, yes. Right. We have one understanding that every human is born divine, right? But Matmaka Ansh is how we view a newborn child. They're given sanskar, which are either dharmic or adharmic. And in throughout the Euro-Christian empire, they are given what we would deem to be adharmic, unharmonious sanskar. They are corralled by shepherds who are in the minority, but the vast majority of the Euro-Christian population is desperate to break free. They just don't have an alternative. They don't have somebody who can give them a vision of what an alternative would look like. I'll share with you one example. I was teaching yoga bhyas in Nuri, which is on the border of Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland. And I was teaching in the town where on one side of the road there are Catholics, on the other side there are Protestants, and there are regular conflicts between the two of them. And it's become so deeply a part of their culture that when I spoke to them about identity being something that you can transcend, that, you know, we have teachings such as uh, Adi Shankaraji's um, Nirvan Shatkam, which says that what you are is beyond name and form and labels. They had never even thought that this was a possibility. But when they recognize the freedom it would give them, how it would allow them to leave the past of a very tragic and hurtful past behind and move beyond it, it was a complete, it was like a breath of fresh air. And so we have the responsibility, we have no choice to reach the vast majority of humanity who are desperately in need of this. They are in a state of vishad. They are in chapter one. Most of them have been suffering the depravity enshrined in some of these um, exclusivist ideologies for a long, long time. You know, the first people who the, the British colonized were actually the people of these islands. They were colonized by the um, very oppressive uh, Abrahamist ide ideology a long time ago. The first place that was partitioned on religious lines was Ireland. The British went to Ireland and created partition 1.0. They worked out how to do it, and then they partitioned pretty much everywhere else where they could draw a line. And so we have got something that they need to hear. Without a shadow of a doubt, we have to engage, we have to speak, we have to share, we have to be skillful. We have to use every ability that Dharam Vidyan Yoga Bhya gives to us to reach the vast majority of people who want us to talk. Uh, I hope I wasn't overly um, passionate and overly emphatic about that, but it is, it's something that I think is critical to the outcomes that we're going to see over the next decade. So there's somebody who remarked that, have you he heard about Periyar? He was the one who spoke against Tamil upper caste. It's nothing to do with Christians. But at the same time, we had another uh, comment. This is from the comments in the audience section. Well, I would not, um, I would not want to explore Periyar knowing his personal value system, shall we say knowing where he used to spend his evenings and the company of which um, layer of our society, um, knowing his, his desires, etc. 
I don't really think that uh, it uh, deserves a, a conversation. The history of who he is speaks for itself, and anybody wanting to know it should really delve into, into it in a lot more detail. They will also discover the allies that he found and how two mutually supportive anti-Sanatani ideologies worked hand in glove. I don't think there is a need for us to explore it too much. Why are people shifting the grounds of the discussion? We were talking about a very specific topic and they're bringing in something right out. And this is an old tactic. Goodwin's law. So the next question is relevant to our what we started with. Uh, Abhinav says, how did Jordan Peterson read Mangalwari? I've heard this name for the first time today. Don't you guys think this is a covert <laughs> attempt to shape the conservative West? JP's listeners' views about India? I think Sanjayji summarized that so well earlier on. You know, how does, and, and I think Guruji also mentioned that he only has, uh, this fellow only has some 600 followers. How does an ant in the um, circles that we're talking about suddenly find himself crawling along Jordan Peterson's table? Um, an ant would not be able to get there unless they were picked up and jettisoned and dropped there with a particular purpose. So I'm inclined to agree. Um, I don't think this is uh, just a, a, a minor aberration. I, I'm confident that there's something else behind it. Can, can we have the next question, please? I will go on. No, it uh, was the last question. All right, so I will ask you to give the closing remarks. You as in the speakers. I'd, I'd like to go first and then they could. I'd just like to point out a few things from uh, Jordan Peterson's famous books, 12 Rules for Life and 12 More Rules for Life. So he has Rule one in Beyond Order, 12 more rules for life. He has do not carelessly denigrate social institutions or creative achievement. I think his podcast was doing nothing else. You know, so I do not think that is a very nice thing to do. That was rule one, Beyond Order. Then there was rule 11. Do not allow yourself to become resentful, deceitful, or arrogant. This is not Dr. Peterson, but the other person. Yeah, so he's not following his own rules. <laughs> For one. And then he says, tell the truth or at least don't lie. You know, yeah, you should have told that other chappy. You know, like maybe it would have been a good idea to tell the truth or at least don't lie. Now, again, I'm saying, you know, like I can tell you that uh, Jordan Peterson's Reputation amongst Hindus in India has taken a terrible beating. The kind of anger and disdain that I'm seeing towards him, people who used to respect him are now like, uh, you know, they're not in a good place. They are so infuriated and they feel more than anything else, they feel that a person of his stature and his intellect and a person who stands for intellectual integrity like this should not have allowed such a travesty, should not have allowed such a, a clown show, essentially, to have taken place on a show, you know. So, and like I said, the reason why I wanted, uh, especially why I wanted uh, Satyaji and Pandeji, uh, Satyaji and Sanjayji to be on was because I wanted them to know that, you know, it is uh, Hindus generally all across the world 
are not very pleased with what has happened. We do not appreciate this uh, this kind of. And I would uh, piggyback onto Pandaji's offer to Jordan, Dr. Peterson. Please talk to somebody. If you want, we will refute every point that this man has raised, though that is a waste of time in my opinion. But please talk to us and find out what is actually going on. Don't just make these bizarre pronouncements. Don't make, make these wild and bizarre pronouncements. It is not befitting a man of your stature. We are very disappointed in you. You know, uh, I, I suppose that is a bit naive on our part, but you know, I heard somebody say Jordan Peterson be Akhir Gora Nikla, which is I think the saddest thing I could have ever heard. You know? So I, I don't want I don't want this to be as we are uh, you know personally attacking him or some such thing. We are attacking his misjudgment and his complete catastrophic lack of any kind of uh, due diligence. You know, I don't want this to be that, oh, oh, we hate him, that therefore we are attacking him. No, not at all. I still admire him greatly. He's a very great man. I'm publicly saying that. He's a very, very great man. And I will not say that just because of this one mistake, therefore everything he has done is to be thrown into the dustbin. I would not. But, you know, we cannot, we cannot keep allowing people like this to just do whatever they want. We cannot allow these kind of attacks to be just, uh, you know, oh, okay, fine. Ahimsa Parma Dharma, you know, no, not possible. So that's all essentially that I have to say. Pandiji, Sanjayji. Uh, Sanjayji, I believe you're my senior in this. And, uh, oh, I will, really? <laughs> I didn't think so. Anyway. I would exercise my I, I, juvenile privilege. <laughs> well, all I have to say that, okay, I wish... Uh, uh, Jordan Peterson has the open mind to uh, actually view this. And uh, if he doesn't have too much time to go through the basics of uh, Sanatana Dharma, I would suggest that I have a very small booklet, about 6,000 words. It says all religions are not the same. Uh, we can uh, uh, forward it to him if we have his contact. And then maybe ask him to read it. 6,000 words doesn't take long. It's about half an hour, uh, or maybe one hour it will take. And uh, after that, uh, he can engage with us, or we can, uh, if we do not fit the bill, then we can supply a list of uh, eminent people whom he can pick from. I would uh, reiterate what the speakers had discussed uh, before we had this podcast, that it would be a good idea to actually invite him, give him a tour of India and engage him in a discussion. So this is if we can, if Jordan, Pe Jordan Peterson can hear us now. Panaji. I'll take him to Chidambaram and make him take off his shirt, you know, to do darshan. <laughs> <laughs> And that Vishal guy, we can bring him to Jagannath and actually see if we can throw people. <laughs> so, um, closing remarks uh, from my point of view. Um, one thing that we Sanatanis have always held sacred is the conversation that each of us has with our inner voice. This is why we don't proselytize, why we don't evangelize. It's only when an invitation occurs that we then engage. 
And that is, uh, it's an invitation into a very sacred exchange. I'm viewing this podcast that uh, Jordan Peterson has done as an invitation to us to engage with an issue which he's obviously interested in and concerned about. And so we've chosen to engage in the same robust manner which his teachings to date have um, implored his students and his followers to, to adopt. There is a very genuine and compassionate hope that he will perhaps take the hand that we've extended and whether it's in a private capacity, which I think would be of benefit or in a public capacity, which I think would be of even greater benefit to many, many more people, including his followers, as well as his um, friends and supporters in India, it would be a great service to them. But I think the biggest service would be that people of Jordan Peterson's um, caliber, who are seekers and have been seeking, they have for a long period in time found their way into Bharat not to seek something outside, but to seek something inside. They have been seeking to find themselves. There are myriad teachings from people from different civilizations where they've said they come to Bharat to find themselves having lost themselves somewhere out there, far from the madding crowd. So this is a genuine invitation for Jordan Peterson to, to reach out to us and engage with us. There is a path, I can see a path which will lead to a phenomenal conclusion. It will lead to a healing of the discomfort that has uh, been created by that podcast. It will lead to, I'm confident, friendships and a degree of understanding between people of influence and wisdom, which is sorely needed. It will help to soften the, the trauma, shall we say, that the Bharatiya people are now recovering from, from millennia um, and centuries of recent assault on an intellectual, academic and emotional space by the tradition which he is representing um, either involuntarily or voluntarily. And that is an act of violence. I can't imagine that somebody of Jordan Peterson's calibre would engage in an act of violence knowingly. And so my hope is that we can also help Jordan Peterson to heal and come across this uh, misunderstanding. Um, I hope that nothing we have said has been too offensive, but um, as somebody who engaged in conversations where he was very clear that sometimes you have to be disagreeable in order to make progress, in order to um, uh, establish a, a point, I hope um, we haven't been too disagreeable. And uh, if we have, um, I'd like to apologize. Uh, this is an opportunity in time and um, myself, uh, my elder brothers and um, seniors have also reiterated nothing other than a, a very positive desire to engage. And should um, you be open to receiving and reciprocating our, um, shall we say, invitation, I would be more than happy. And I'm sure that uh, Guruji and Sandhiji would also be happy to facilitate perhaps even a conference of some description. We could hold it in Bharat. We could create the forum, a container in which some of these issues could be discussed. And I think we could show the whole world how people of wisdom and intellect actually engage when it comes to contentious issues of uh, trauma and also very uncomfortable histories. So please do accept our invitation 
in the manner and uh, with the, the the feelings that it's been given. Um, Sangam, I would like to thank you for um, putting this together, and uh, obviously my nomins to uh, Guruji and to Sanjayji. Sarvam Shivamayam. Aparnaji, I think you're muted. Uh, thank you, everybody, uh, the audience, the speakers, for accepting our invitation and joining us this evening. Uh, namaste. Namaste. Hari Om. Sarvam Shumya.